Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Do children manifest anxiousness about the coronavirus different than maybe adolescents or adults? Everybody has had to deal with the pandemic over the last several months, and as people look towards trying to establish a new normal, there are a variety of different issues that come up that make all of us wonder how we can handle this. Are we going to need some more tools and things that will help us to just deal with the anxiety and stress and, in some cases, bordering on depression of what's been going on that you hear about in the media or that you experience in your own life? Well, today I am happy to be joined by Dr. Heather Goff. She is a clinical psychiatrist of both child, adolescent, and adult psychiatry at Kaiser Permanente. And we're going to talk about those three different groups of folks and go over some of the things that all of us may need to know and understand about how people express their feelings about coronavirus slightly differently, maybe based on their age or their life stage at that time. So thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Goff. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you've been in practice for almost, well, a little over 15 years. You mentioned here in the islands for at least three years or so. And this is something that's unprecedented. You know, no, none of us alive today have really experienced the significance of a pandemic at our time in life. This is such yeah, uncharted waters. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it really is so uncharted. You know, I've done... Um, I actually did a little bit of disaster work previously in my in my residency training, and you know after earthquakes and and uh, hurricanes, and you know I think the difference with this is this is it's not just a one and done, right? This is something that none of us have ever experienced, none of us have ever been through, um, and it's it's really ongoing in a way that we haven't experienced before, even with some of the other you know events that have occurred. And you can't see it. I mean, I guess you can see certain elements. Like with an earthquake, you can see damage. Or with the hurricane, you can experience it and see damage. And yet with a virus, it's not like you can visualize it with your eyes. You can see some of the consequences and effects of people who are sick. But it's not like you could identify it. It, it to me, makes it a little more abstract and in some ways even more difficult. Right, right. And I think even scarier for some people, right, because it's ongoing, because we can't see it, because there's this uncertainty. Um, I think that there's a lot of that anxiety and fear that comes up for, for a lot of us because we just we don't know what the future kind of holds with it. Right. We have to trust that people are are doing their best, best to keep us safe and healthy and, and figure it out. But it but it can be pretty overwhelming. Now, let's talk about children, because they may be manifesting this in ways that we might not otherwise think. I mean, certainly behavioral outbursts could be one aspect. But a lot of kids who were, you know, in school going about a various, you know, scheduled routine, all of a sudden are told you can't hug your friends, you can't be around your friends, you have to now learn from home. I mean, in general, younger people are certainly better than I am with technology. So I think they might adapt to some of this educational learning, distance learning on computers, uh, certainly better than I would, but what are some of the other manifestations that young children might have just in their own inability to maybe express some of their feelings about what's going on? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it, it obviously depends a little bit on the age, right? For really young kids, they may not even really be able to, to verbally express it or even fully understand what's going on. Um, and depending on, on, you know, as kids get a little bit older, they're, they are a little bit better able to 
have some concept of what's happening, um, but but a lot of times it's really hard. Why can't I see my friends? Right? Why do we have to stay far away? Why can't I be in school? Um, and and that can be really hard for for young kids. Um, um, and so so to, to to be able to to manage that, um, you know, kids definitely respond in different ways to to the that sort of social isolation or the change in routine. I'm kind of re- reminded of my my two nephews are both in elementary school, you know, pretty young kids, and they've had these completely opposite responses. You know, the older one is pretty shy, pretty quiet. He likes to be online. So for him, being told he had to stay at home and do his schoolwork all day was a joy. You know, he's he's in heaven. But for the younger one, who's super, super social and super outgoing, right, he was just a wreck. He wants to see his friends. He's upset. He's angry. Um, so, so it also depends, too, on the individual child, right, how they're going to respond um, differently, too. Well, and what are some of the things that parents can do if they recognize, you know, maybe with your older nephew, he's loving this, but it may not be expanding his social skills. You know, it may be something that's kind of regressing a little bit in his ability to interact with other folks other than sort of in this computerized environment. Are there things that parents should do if they recognize that their child may be super happy to be home, but maybe limiting their social interactions in ways that might not be helpful for them long term? Yeah, that's a really hard, that's a, such a hard thing to do. Um, and I think something that a lot of parents are really struggling with, how to find that balance, um, especially with some of the online stuff, right? So figuring out how do we have some social interactions? How do we not let, you know, let the older, my older nephew, for example, you know, be completely isolated or the younger one be, you know, completely having meltdowns? Um, you know, in general, you know, trying to find that balance, you know, at the end of the day is going to be the most important piece of it. And, and one of the things that I consistently come back to when I'm talking with parents really comes down to consistency and routine and figuring out how to put all of those kinds of activities in, into some kind of consistency and routine. You know, this certainly isn't a normal time for kids, but how can we start to normalize it as much as we can for them and, and ha- let them better know what to expect um you know so that might mean yes we're doing online school and we're going to try to check in with our friends online um and we're going to continue to to have some of our somewhat regular activities as much as we can um in in maybe some creative ways well and i like the idea of the schedule and the routine because i think all of us no matter what our age if we're in a system where we get up around the same time every day, we go to bed around the same time, just that physical routine often helps the body to adapt to different things going on, lowers body stress. You know, I know if you pull right. an all-nighter, I mean, we used to do that in medical school. Don't ask me to do it now. I'd be all sorts of weird the next day. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that just having that set amount of sleep and set amount of, of time to just go about your daily exercise and activity is really, it's key. Particularly, you know, I think back to being in school. I'd be like your older nephew. I'd be like, I get to stay home all day and read and study and no one bothers me. I would so be him, but that's probably not good. So I'm wondering if just keeping that established routine and schedule might be helpful and also maybe even integrating having the super social kid draw the very shy kid out and say, let's do some different things together, or interact either virtually or in person and, and talk with their friends and kind of make sure that they create that own balance amongst themselves. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. You know, it was really interesting. I heard from so many uh, kids, especially because he, 
right here in Hawaii when, when the stay-at-home orders and everything was really starting to go into effect, it was right around the time of spring break for a lot of students. Um, so there was spring break, and then there was, well, we're going to put off school for a week, and then maybe it was going to be the end of March. Um, and initially, a lot of students, a lot of kids, the kids that I see, you know, said, this is great. We have an extended spring break. Um, and then as time went on, and it became more apparent that this was going to last longer, you know, we started to see, okay, this is a little bit harder. This is more frustrating. This is more difficult. Um, and with, with especially with older kids and teenagers, one of the big issues that I think we've come across is, you know, teenagers who get into a really, really erratic sleep schedule because they don't have to be at school in the morning. And we know that, you know, teenagers have a sort of a different circadian rhythm anyway. Teenagers tend to like to go to bed late and get up really late, you know, in the day. And that's just how their biologic clocks tend to run a little bit differently than younger kids and adults. So, you know, we have all these teenagers now who are staying up until midnight, one, two in the morning, and then sleeping, um, you know, halfway through the day. And then that's hard for the family. And so, so I think one of the things that, you know, we try to navigate is, okay, how do we figure out how to help families especially navigate that routine and, and have some of that consistency, um, and especially if we're looking at then ultimately going, you know, back to school and more regular, you know, what I say, regular schedule at some point down the road, that's going to certainly be an adjustment. Well, it makes me want to go back and be a teenager and stay up all night and sleep halfway through the right. day. I'm regressing. <laughs> all right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio, and we have Dr. Heather Goff on the line. She is a clinical psychiatrist of child, adolescent, and adult psychiatry at Kaiser Permanente. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of the other challenges for adolescents who may be looking at some of these passages and stages of life and not getting to experience them like they expected. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and The Hub Coworking Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Heather Goff on the line. She is a clinical psychiatrist of child, adult, and adolescent psychiatry at Kaiser Permanente. And right before the break, we were talking about some of the challenges that young children might feel with this endless spring break phenomena that extended into summer break that now is changing potentially the paradigm of how learning may occur when the school season comes back. But adolescents have also had some other milestones that they haven't been able to experience. Dr. Goff, what are some of the things that you and I might have had when we were younger that uh, the kids these days haven't had that marker of time? And how are they managing that? There, it's really been running the gamut from, from what I hear from teenagers that I work with. Um, the first thing that I think was really impacted was sports. So a lot of sports teams and uh, and sports practices ended up being um, have have sort of been put on pause for right now and, and may start to be coming back because that was really difficult for a lot of teenagers right not to be able to finish out their um, their season and then especially for kids who are approaching or you know the end of high school and graduating from high school that's so huge we've we've heard so much now about um, you know missed graduations and missed graduation parties and and not being able to have that real rite of passage that can be so important for um, for teenagers as, as a way of really celebrating their accomplishments in, in finishing school. And so I think a lot of kids are, are definitely 
feeling all lost there and not getting to experience that. And I think we were talking earlier and talking about things like prom, <laughs> which for some kids is a really big loss and for others they might not have wanted to go. But um, but some of those, you know, those sort of classic, you know, especially high school and teenage experiences that, that they're missing out on and, and, and are trying to figure out ways how to how to replicate or, or reproduce or, or at least, you know, have something to, to, to mark that milestone moment for themselves. Yeah, I think it's difficult because a lot of the schools have tried to do sort of drive-by graduations or drive up, take pictures, get your diploma, and they've certainly came up with some really interesting ideas, but it's hard to replicate that exact experience. That tends it to is. be it is it is, and I think loss. it's okay. I think it's okay for us to acknowledge that this this is probably something that that teenagers are gonna have feelings about, and it's okay to grieve about, um, you know, or you know, to have whatever feelings they may be having about it, um, and to make a space for them to be talking about that and expressing that, um, and just really provide that space and and understanding. Well, and you can't really come back next year and do it. I mean, I guess technically you could, but once you've moved on, if you've gone away to school or you've experienced another challenge in life, it may not be something you want to go back and sort of remark again at another time. It also brings to light the fact that, you know, a lot of a lot of adolescents may have had some ideas on what they wanted to do next, go further in school, or if they were planning on going to college and they were planning on furthering their education, all those plans might be totally different now. Yeah, I think the uncertainty is really, really tough. Um, I talked to a teenager recently who is hoping to go to college in the fall and isn't sure yet what's happening, right? Is it going to be on campus or are they going to be staying home at their parents' home for a semester? Um, And, you know, certainly schools are still trying to figure that out. The uncertainty for a lot of teenagers is you know, and and probably families too, right? Is one of the hardest things. It's the, the, that not knowing, and, and it makes it really hard, um, hard to make plans um, and hard to figure out. Okay, well, how do I feel about this when I have this uncertainty? Um, so we're talking about a lot of like living in the moment, staying in the present, <laughs> focusing on the now, um, to to try to to really just sit with that. Well, and I guess that's one of the coping mechanisms is think about the right now as opposed to this is going to alter everything in life. Are there any other things that even parents can help with their adolescent children who, you know, maybe they weren't expecting to have to do their first semester of college at home and now they might need to do that for their own safety yeah. purposes? Are there any other things parents can do to help their kids or or help them with this whole transition that was not like they expected? And it already, already often a difficult transition too, right? I mean, it's there's the transition for out of high school, whether it's to work or college, can can often be a, a pretty tough one, right? We often see, you know, teenage teenagers already in this kind of time in their life having more anxiety or more depression, you know, more stress. Um, I think the biggest piece is is parents being able to just again provide a space to their to their children to their teenage children to be able to talk about their feelings to know that it's okay to to have those feelings um you know it's it's less helpful for parents to say well prom wasn't that big a deal or you know well you got to drive through graduation and i didn't get any graduation that Um, old phenomena of in my day (laughs) you know it was even harder right right (laughs) 
<laughs> right. And really just providing a space to, to say, yeah, this is how you're feeling and let's talk about it. And it's okay to have those feelings. I think across the board, right, whether we're talking about teenagers, adults, you know, young kids, grade school kids, I think for all of us, um, that's probably I think one of the, the biggest pieces is just knowing it's, it's okay to not be okay um, sometimes. And there's no right or wrong way to get through this because it is such a, a sort of unprecedented and, and difficult thing that we're all experiencing. Um, and just to meet ourselves, you know, and the people around us where we are. I think the other aspect that I'm certain that you help folks with is just the perspective. You know, when you think about the way that someone could respond to the statement that's, you know, there's things are never going to go back to the way that they used to. Now, that could be a true statement, and I can't predict, nor nor could you, about how things are going to be in the future. But in some ways, people could say, yeah, I'll never go to a big party or to a concert or to something like that. But the other aspect is we will be much more mindful about keeping our germs to ourselves, washing our hands, not spreading infections, staying home when we're sick, making sure that we take a much more careful look at public health issues that, you know, in the past we kind of haven't. And that's why we see a lot of different viruses. You know, influenza comes around every year. Now we have coronavirus, and this may be something that comes every year. So we have to consider that, yes, it may be something that nothing goes back to the way it used to be, but the perspective on that could be, and I can't believe it, this is such a negative thing, or I'm going to learn something from it and try and find some positive aspect that will help me move forward in my own dealing with this pandemic and mm-hmm. how it changes life. Right. If that's, I mean, it's definitely, that's always a great, you know, a great kind of coping strategy, right? We're looking for hope. We're looking for positive. We're looking for the, for the silver lining. Um, and, and what can we learn from this? Um, and I would still probably make the argument that it, it's both and, you know, and it's also okay to be sad or angry or frustrated and all those things at the same time. Um, cause it's, cause we're complicated. Um, you know, I think for some people, um, this has been, you know, a tremendously positive experience in the last few months. Um, you know, I've met a number of people who've talked about the fact that they're furloughed from work and they're, they're doing okay because they were lucky enough, you know, to be able to get through to unemployment and they're doing okay financially and they've got free time and they can, you know, work on, house projects and spend more time with family and you know lots of people are making sourdough bread and cleaning out their closets but but for some people this has been a really positive um time for them and they feel really grateful for it and then for others it's been really really you know really tough right people who are you know perhaps not as you know not as stable or having more difficulty financially or maybe had underlying mental health issues um or or medical issues and so it really um you know it has varied a lot Well, that's true, and we certainly don't want to invalidate anyone's experience because it could be ranging from a true positive to a desperately negative. So that's that's a really good point. I can't just be Pollyanna about it because that is not what everyone else is experiencing. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio talking with Dr. Heather Goff, clinical psychiatrist at Kaiser Permanente in child, adolescent, and adult psychiatry. And when we come back, we are going to talk some more about what are some of the other coping mechanisms and how has 
telemedicine changed accessibility to people in the mental health profession and made it something that a lot of folks might even feel even more comfortable reaching out and getting some help now because they can find a way to do this in a virtual basis that they may not have chosen before. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm on the line with Dr. Heather Goff, clinical psychiatrist at Kaiser Permanente, and we've talked about the child experience, the adolescent experience, and let's not forget the adult experience, because that's something that, you know, there's a lot of adults that are now trying to manage being home, educating their kids, homeschooling, dealing with elderly parents, daycare is not available for either aspects of that spectrum, and the amount of stress that's being put on families and parents, and even just people who are adults in general, maybe have had mental health issues, or just having a response to this pandemic that is really stressful and difficult. I don't want to ignore that group of folks. When we think about mental health issues, for example, do you know, have we seen a rise in some of the potential negative aspects of people who have uncontrolled depression or uncontrolled other issues? And has that gotten worse during the pandemic? You know, we're definitely, anecdotally, definitely looks like Yes, people who have underlying anxiety and depression, this is a really tough time, and, and we're seeing really that get pretty exacerbated. Um, you know, this is new for all of us, so in terms of there being a lot of, you know, data and research about actual numbers and statistics about, you know, people with mental health issues with anxiety or depression, there's been a little bit of research that's been done in China because um, they got hit with this before we did. Um, it's something that, you know, obviously we're, we're still kind of tracking and, and researchers are looking at, but there is some, you know, preliminary information. Like there definitely, it definitely does, yes, we're, we're seeing increases in symptoms, we're seeing incre- increased anxiety, we're seeing increased depression. Um, and it looks like probably, you know, people with underlying, you know, and pre-existing mental health issues, um, or pre-existing health conditions, um, and women minorities are probably even more at risk. Um, and so this is definitely a time that we want to make sure that people, um, you know, that we're paying attention to that and trying to, to help people get connected and, and to get support and get, get treatment if, if needed. Well, and you bring up the really true aspect of the fact that we're dealing with this in real time. You know, I was looking at some photos on my phone and trying to send one to a family member. And I remember taking some of the original pictures from the the very first couple of uh, episodes where we had like two cases in Hawaii. And, uh, And the world cases were, you know, we were low on the list in numbers of cases. And now there's been such a complete turn that you're right, a lot of this is going to require data collection that'll occur over the next several months, if not years. But, you know, I, in my practice, I'm seeing patients come in feeling more anxiety and stress and holding off on taking care of their regular medical issues because they don't want to come to a hospital because of potential exposure. And so, you know, a lot of hospitals have taken the initiative to say, listen, don't let your chronic disease get worse because you're afraid. There are a lot of clinicians that have found novel ways to communicate with patients to make sure that their care is not compromised. And one of those ways that lends itself very well to the field of psychiatry, I would think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, 
is telemedicine. You know, I know that it's a little more difficult in like a primary care scenario where you want to listen to someone's heart or you need to do some sort of physical exam. But it seems like this is such an opportunity for the mental health professionals, both the psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors, to be able to reach out to people using more of a telemedicine platform. Have you seen that really expand significantly in the last few months? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think in Hawaii, we um, it, it seems to me we were already doing probably a little bit more of that anyway than, you know, on the mainland because we are islands and because we do provide care across islands at times. But yeah, within the last few months, um, you know, it, I think people all over were just, there's just been a really big, big increase in, in virtual um, in, in telemedicine. You know, the, the technology um, that we have right now is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, I just sort of was imagining recently, gosh, can you imagine if this had happened 15 or 20 years ago? Um, and we didn't have the technology we have right now, right? We didn't have Zoom and, and FaceTime and Skype and all these ways of connecting virtually. So it really has been pretty incredible. Um, you know, in some ways, I think I've had better luck connecting with a lot of my patients because they don't have to remember to come into the office for an appointment. Um, I can, you know, if I have a video visit with them, they can do it from the comfort of their own home, right? They don't have to find a babysitter or, you know, drive anywhere. Um, and certainly, you know, if they forget, you know, I can call them and I can catch them and we can do the session right then. So it really has been pretty incredible, I think, for mental health and for our ability to 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 be able to reach our patients and for them to be able to um, access care. Um, you know, I would say especially for folks who have, you know, pretty significant anxiety or depression or other things that m might keep them, you know, more socially isolated. It makes it harder to get out of the house. You know, people who are afraid of driving, um, who have really severe anxiety or social anxiety. Um, in many ways, this really makes, you know, getting um, connected so much easier. You know, there certainly are things that are hard about it, right? Sometimes the technology can get a little bit wonky and we get disconnected. And sometimes it's, you know, certainly with younger kids, it's it's a lot harder to, to do, you know, therapy and play therapy with, with much younger kids. But I think overall, you know, especially like when I talk with my colleagues, um, that for the most part, this has been a really, you know, positive experience and just this like leap forward in terms of our ability to to reach people and to be able to provide care. Now, I have to ask, because I have my own sort of interesting thought about it, is, you know, we're almost making, telemedicine is making medicine so much more convenient to individuals, which I think in some ways, like you said, you can outreach to them and you can find them where they're at. And if they can find a private place to have a conversation, this could really facilitate more of a relationship and rapport. Are there any, what's the strangest place someone has ever had a session with you? And and I'll I'll answer that because I'll start that. I did have a video visit with somebody who was shirtless in the back seat of their car. They had just gotten out of the ocean at Alamoana, decided they were going to see their doctor, get their refills, and hop back in the ocean. And I was like, "Wow, we really are bringing medicine to the people." That's amazing. And, you know, and my I only a lot of cars. Right. My only thought cars was are a good private place for people. I mean, that's that's true. It, it's cars, and I just thought, I wish I was at the beach right now. That would make my life a little more fun. Look at the ocean; it looks beautiful. So, in that case, you know, maybe do you find that that a lot of cars or people are finding themselves in weird places that, you know, this is their only place to have a confidential conversation. You know, I think sometimes it's 
a challenge, especially with the quarantine, right? And families are all, you know, quarantined together in a in a in a house, and so finding a private space can be difficult. So I I've actually have seen a number of people who are in their cars, and I always, you know, have to ask, "Are you driving?" And you know, they reassure yeah. me, "No, I'm sitting in my car." I've had someone <laughs> driving. I was, I was like, "Okay, yeah." Right. I did see somebody who was driving actually. Um, um, but it was a passenger, so it ended up working out okay. That's good. Um, so not you know, road rage. <laughs> uh, it's it's certainly been an interesting an interesting experience. When it, I told one of somebody I was speaking with one of my patients in the last couple of weeks, I said, you know, this is actually a pretty pretty interesting and pretty cool experience for me because I get to see a, a side of them in their life that I don't usually get to see, right? I get to see their house. I get to see their pet dog or, um, you know, their favorite, you know, hibiscus plant. Um, and Very so true. And a little bit of a window, too. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to do this again, Dr. Goff. Time flew by. There's so much more we could talk about. And, yes, if we could do it on video, then I could see what your house looks like, although I'd be scared <laughs> to go. show photos of mine sometimes, I'll tell you. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org and follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we'll see you right Monday again next week. We'll talk some more about health on The Body Show. See you then. Woo!